the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Oh my gosh, so good to see you both. Is it so weird that you two haven't been able to like see each other in a while? When was the last time you guys were in the same place? It's been over a year, year and a half. It's like so weird and sad when you're so used to seeing somebody all the time. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, what? You know, we've got Gizm like all the way over in Europe. So far away, way different time zones. Sunny, you're in BC? Yeah, I'm in BC. You're in Abbotsford, right? Abbotsford, yeah. Yeah. Usually I, don't, I never say Abbotsford because nobody really understands it. But since you're a Canadian, you got me. I know. I was actually just up in Toronto last week and it was so nice to be home. I had not been home to Canada in like three years. I, last time I was in Canada was when we had SummerSlam in Toronto, which was years ago. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah, so it was nice to get a little... Canada connection. I feel so much better when I'm in Canada. I just, I think it's the Tim Hortons and the air and, you know, all the, all the good stuff. Always. I know. It's so nice. Okay. A year and a half since you guys have seen each other. What's going on? What's happening? What have you guys been up to? It's been such, obviously such a weird time in the last year and a half, but what has gone on between uh, parting ways with WWE to where you're at now? Well, we kept very silent, of course, after WWE, uh, we did it a little bit on purpose. Most people leave WWE, as you know, like they jump on every opportunity they get. We didn't uh, jump on every opportunity. We wanted to wait out a little bit and keep people guessing, right? What we're going to do next. And we didn't want to just come back for the sake of coming back. We always felt like we wanted to do something bigger than real life. And we hooked up about 12 to 13 months ago, over a year ago. And we just started talking like, uh, what are our next steps? What are our next plans? And uh, that's how we got uh, into uh, our new project, Boy Planet. We put a lot of time in it behind the scenes. Uh, we didn't want any social media coverage on it or any interviews or nothing. Like We liked the silent part of it, be ourselves. And uh, yeah, of course, we missed it. We missed the community part of wrestling. It's such a strong community, even though we couldn't engage on a level as the most people did, because we weren't really the typical baby face. We were always the bad guys throughout our whole careers. Of course, we look like that, so it fits as well. But of course, we wanted to engage in the community as well a little bit. 
And uh, that's how we got a little bit into the NFT world. And uh, we launched Boulay Planet. We've been growing so fast. We built a community ourselves in the last couple of months. This is just the way uh, we feel we're coming back in a way that's bigger than real life in the virtual world. What does that mean? What do people get out of it? Me and Sunny, we always felt like we weren't humans in the ring. We were like wild animals because that was always the way our matches went, like high pace, crazy, aggressive, nonstop. So that's where the name Boy Planet comes from. It's, uh, it's art. It's a new virtual reality world. We're coming back, but accessible to everybody. Like you don't have to be a bad guy. You don't have to be a good guy. We can wrestle. We can be ourselves, but it's not going to be on earth it's going to be in the virtual reality world it's crazy and i think we really think it's going to take over here in europe it's already taking over people already spending more time in the metaverse in the virtual reality world than in the normal world and the states is actually catching up on it and this is how we felt we can express ourselves the real us the real sunny exam but also with uh, a little bit of the old school aop Sunny, what's your take on the whole thing? How do you feel like how do you feel like the steam is picking up in Canada with this? It's one of those things where it's it's growing day by day. You know, it's very early on as a project or as a whole concept of NFTs, but everyone's getting involved. It's like the internet when the internet first came out. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, "Oh, that's never going to work." But look at it now. Same with NFTs. They're one of those things. It's going to be a representation of who you are, what you believe in. And it's basically like if you wear a certain type of clothes, it kind of represents who you are. You know what I mean? So it's it's going to be the same thing where in your virtual wallet, the kind of purchases of NFTs you have, that's going to show people the kind of person or your beliefs or what you're involved in, kind of in that concept. As the months go by, everyone will be uh, getting more accustomed to it. And that's the beauty of it, right? So it's so new. And there's no, there's no boundaries. There's nobody, uh, no, nothing's uh, written in stone, which is right or which is wrong. It's all open concept and everyone can just be themselves, you know? And it's like, even even as far as, like Gazim just said, we were bad guys and we weren't allowed to be close to the community of the wrestling world as a baby face would. But in this world, we're just like everybody else. We can talk to anybody. We log on to the Discord. We talk as much as we can. I was giving relationship advice the other day. It's one of those things where we're, we can do things we've never done before. And when me and Gazim came up with the concept and we started looking into this, I was like, yo, this is cool. You know what I mean? This is one of those things where it's never been done. No wrestlers ever thought of it. Wrestlers are these badass, non-approachable figures. But if we do this, this is totally different. And we've been gone for so long. And I think it's going to be huge. When you guys were building this and putting everything together, what were the things that were really important for you guys to, to have as part of your NFT? Well, definitely the community aspect of it. We built it up a team of uh, six people. We have a tech guy, we have an artist, we have a uh, marketing guy, we have us, of course, and we hooked up with this uh, professional soccer player. It's a day-to-day -day community engagement. Like, like we're in the Discord, like we're talking with people. We have a special mental health uh, chat. We have a sports chat. We have a wrestling chat. We talk about everything. And if you see people engaging so much, it really, really opens your eyes. And that's one of the things that me and Sunny were really, really strict on. We really wanted the community part to be really strong. And uh, that's one of the things that we really wanted. And of course, we also wanted something that nobody has seen before, something that nobody has done before. Uh, for example, with our, uh, with our figures, we're fully 3D fully adaptable to any metaverse. It's crazy. We're actually releasing a video game called Boulay Planet. It will be uh, available on uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and so forth. It's actually like we're taking such big steps like that we never could have dreamed of. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to be bigger than real life. Of course, like you know the saying in WWE, everything is bigger than real life. Once we left WWE, we felt like, where can we go where we have that same feeling? Of course, we had offers of multiple companies and nothing felt the same as this right now. Of course, in the future, you'll never know, right? We can make a comeback in the real world. Of course, uh, we're already planning some stuff to create in the Middle East. It's going to be huge. We're actually flying over there in uh, two weeks to set up some things. And it's going to be huge. Uh, we can't tell too much about it, but it's going to be a very exciting time for us.
Okay, before I get into more of like some of the wrestling stuff with you guys, um, in this metaverse world and you're on the discourse talking to people and they're getting this other side of you, what has been kind of the biggest reaction from people really getting to know you? Like you said, when you guys have been these heels for the longest time and now they get to know you guys as people, what has that reaction been like? They can't believe how nice we are. <laughs> I get it all the time. AOP is so cool, man. Like, we've been <laughs> like this our whole life. You know, it was just, it was, we we're good at that character, you know, being that badass heel type character, you know. But in real life, this is who we are. And it's, it's nice. That's why I'm so excited about this project because we get to show who we are. We aren't just those mutes that just beat people up, you know. So it's very, uh, very nice in that way. Like I'm, en I'm enjoying the whole process. It's awesome. I bet that's got to be kind of difficult when you do have this like warm, fun personality, but you don't ever get to show that to anybody. It's, it must feel nice to get to like finally reveal that side of yourself to people. Definitely. So that's, 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 that's a huge part of it. Okay. So on the wrestling side of things, yeah, you guys must be getting hit up left, right, and center. I feel like when you guys in WWE parted ways, that was really a jaw dropper of like, what? How, how, what, why, where, when? Like it's, it blew my mind for sure. So what was the reaction for you guys from, from some other independent wrestling promotions and, you know, all of the opportunities that are available now? The pandemic started and at the time, like everyone was super, super uncertain about what was going on because I was living in Canada in Vancouver at the time. So I was flying back and forth. Then the borders shut, right? So I couldn't do that anymore. Zim hadn't been home in, uh, I think two years at the time to Amsterdam. And like, he was worried about his own family because the whole world was getting shut down. People were getting sick, left, right, and center, right? And WWE had approached us with something different that they wanted us to do. And we were just like, hey man, we just don't feel comfortable doing it. And at the time, like that was the best decision for us. And we decided to just stay with their families and stay home. To be a little bit nosy, what was the thing that they had offered you? If you want to talk about it, you don't have to, but. I'd rather not. It was something. Okay. It was something in the company, obviously. But at the time, if you remember, we were working with Seth. We we're working on top and we had this huge storyline. But at the time, Zim had just gotten hurt. He tore his bicep. Like that was, I think that was the last Raw before the, all the restrictions went in. And then we went without a crowd, I believe. And. He just torn it and uh, the whole time was coming back and just doing what we were doing before. And what had happened was he came back after four months and, and the script had completely changed. And what they wanted us to do at the time, we weren't really comfortable doing. We're family men. You know, I'm an only child. I like taking care of my parents. Zim's got a brother and sister, but at the same time, he likes taking care of his parents too. They're getting older. So I just said, you know what? This is good. I got to stay home and take care of my family. And Zim said, that's the best decision for me as well. And then after that, we didn't even think about wrestling. You know, all the offers or what, whatnot, we're just, we sat back and we're just like, you know, we're just gonna let this pandemic end. The pandemic never ended, you know what I mean? You know, it kept, it, it kept going, kept going. And then while we had all this free time, we started doing multiple different ventures. I got into housing, a lot of real estate stuff. And then Zim got his uh, food prep companies and restaurants and he's into all that stuff. And then we, we talk all the time over the phone and then we started fiddling around with this NFT world. And then we came up with this. So then we got busy with this. So we never really had a chance to sit back and be like, hey man, we should grab our gear bag. We just never did, you know? So, cause we were so busy with doing all this other stuff and which has been nice. So my question now, a year and a half off of no bumps, how good do your bodies feel right now? Do you feel amazing? <laughs> I feel amazing. Honestly, I feel like I look the, I look the best. Yeah. I feel the best. I like we're both young. Like I was 20 when I got signed with WWE. When I was prepping for this, I was like, you guys are so young. Holy shit. Babies. I was 20 when I got signed. Zim was 19. We're both young. And then now I'm 28. Zim's 27. We can still wrestle tomorrow if we wanted to. You know what I mean? So we can go. But I honestly, I do feel a lot better not traveling and just not taking bumps. Like our heart is still at wrestling. And coming back in this way, we love it a lot. Uh, but of course, like if everything would have happened, everything would have went well with WWE, we saw ourselves still wrestling for WWE, right? I came back after hurting my bicep. I rehabbed it in three and a half months, like in 14 weeks. I rehabbed the full torn bicep. 
and uh, it was a double incision bicep uh, repair that it did. Like usually that's eight months of rehab. I did it in three and a half months. And I went back actually to the WWE office and I told them I'm ready to go again. And they just cut us off. They said, no. And I said, we just said like, what do you mean? Right. Uh, I'm just going to say it here. Right. Like we shook hands on something pretty big and they want, didn't want to follow it up anymore after I got hurt and the pandemic started. So that's also one of the reasons why me and Sonny said, Hey, we're going to go home. Right. We decided together we're going to go home and, do our things, man, because we're people that if you make a promise and you shake hands, you have to act on it and you have to fucking come your promises. And once we feel like somebody doesn't do that, we cut you off right away. That's how we are. And we shook hands like, I don't know, like with a former somebody in the office, you probably know him. Uh, that guy got let go. Uh, but uh, yeah, we went through some shit with him, right? Uh, he, uh, he made a lot of promises to us. And they didn't relive it. We just felt like, hey, we're going to go home and uh, we're done, man. So it was not a very difficult decision for you guys to come to, to decide to pack things up. Me and Zim, when we first started wrestling in WWE, like training, we came from successful backgrounds. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like it was our savior. You know what I mean? Like, it was something we wanted to do. You know, a lot of guys like us get heat about it. Oh, they didn't come from the indies. They don't respect the business. No, we, we respect whatever we do. If we're devoting ourselves, moving from Canada, he's moving from Amsterdam to America, away from our families and learning a new craft from scratch. I don't know what else in respect can we do. We started our lives again and we fully went into that business and said, hey, man, we're going to be the best we can. And that's what we did. We respected everyone we came across. I still thank everybody that helped us in our path. But at the end of the day, we're very disciplined in a way and respect oriented. We agree on something and we sh my handshake is my bond. I do any deal in my life, whether it's real estate or anything, if I shake hands with somebody, that's my bond. And if both parties or some party tries to flop out of it, that doesn't sit right with me. And the Zims, is, that's why we get along so well, because we had the same morals and values. And that was one of those things where we're just like, okay, there's no ill will, no hard feelings. We just said, okay, that's your guys' decision. Well, this is our decision. Most people would be like, no, no, just stay with the company and take what you get. No, no. We don't need that. We do it our way or it's not, it doesn't work, you know, because we've shown our respect. We never said no to nothing. Zim was 300, and, I think 40 pounds at the time. And somebody asked him to take a uh, suplex from a ladder. He just said, okay, let's do it. Hey, we were like that with anything, getting hit by chairs, no problem. You always want to put us through table. I went through a table every week for like four months. I said, no, I liked it. I enjoyed it because whatever we do, we try to do it the best we can. That's just who we are. But at the same time, we, we expect the same in return. And it wasn't something that we didn't agree on. We agreed on something and they backed out of it for whatever their reasons are. And we just said, okay, it's all good. We opted out. You can call us young and wise or you can call us young and dumb, but that's who we are. You guys both got signed really young. How did you guys become a tag team? What was sort of the origin stories of getting you guys together? I believe it was all Hunter's idea. I was at the performance center about four to five months before Zim was. And then as soon as we, he came in, I looked at him like, man, he looks just like me. And this is before they even like said, hey, you guys going to be a tag team. We just started hanging out together <laughs> like every day, you know, like because we didn't have I didn't have any family there. He definitely that he barely knew English. I understood every word he said, you know, where normal people did look at him like, what, what did he say? And everyone called him Jism, <laughs> right? I think I was the only one that said his actual name is Gazim, guys. Come on. And we connected and further on, we, we uh, got an apartment together. We started living together. I honestly, like I'll say this on, on record, like I wouldn't be able to do it if Zim wasn't there. I would have left a long time ago. And I would have said, hey, man, it's all good, but I'm going back home. Like Sonny said, we came from different backgrounds and everybody looked at us like we're just there to steal money, right? Like you're there, you're here just for the WWE for the money, like. You're not a wrestler. Why am you, you? We have we've been wrestling for ten years on the indie bing halls. Like we've been giving our whole bodies. You guys are just here, like to make money. Like everybody, like people don't know because we didn't complain about it. Because we can take a lot of shit. Yeah, we can take a lot of shit. Of course, I respect the people who did their thing in wrestling before WWE, like on the indies. But we come from backgrounds like where wrestling just isn't that big. Like he grew up in a wrestling family. I grew up in a fight boxing family. So I, I actually became a professional MMA fighter at 17. People just don't know how much we left behind 
to go actually sign with WWE and go wrestle for WWE, go to the performance center. Like I never even told anybody in the Netherlands like what we went through in the performance center. Like people thought we were getting paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars, like just being in a performance center. I made more money at 17 from MMA sponsorship deals than I made in the WWE performance center. I left money behind. I left my family behind just because like it was an exciting adventure. Like I thought it was an exciting adventure for me, like to go to WWE. Right. And we really stuck out there, like just because we were together. Right. Like if we weren't there together, I think, I think I couldn't do it, man. I think I would have left a long time ago. My father, he didn't talk to me for about six months because I made the decision to go to the WWE. Why did he not like it? The thing was, at amateur wrestling and freestyle, I was I made my first national team at 13 years old. So I was representing Canada all over the world. And I had just taken a world uh, bronze medal at the Junior Worlds in Sofia, Bulgaria in 2013 before I signed. And I had just medaled at Pan Am Games. So I was a, I was a medal hopeful in Rio, just being on the Olympic team. Because we have our own wrestling club here in Abbotsford. And like that's what we do. We teach wrestling. And um, it was his life's work. And working on me, right? And I decided to just sign a contract and go to Florida. So he didn't he didn't speak to me for like six months. People don't realize that. They thought, oh, these guys are just here stealing money, like Zim just said. No, we actually wanted to do it. We had careers. That's why when me and him got together, we clicked. That brotherhood, it was just, I can't even put a word on it because it was just something so beautiful and pure. It's the same way now. Like, I don't think Zim like has ever, ever doubted any decision I've made. We're so confident in each other's decisions that we will blindly support each other, no matter what it is in life. I remember all the old timers that when they see us, you guys are together all the time. You guys will grow apart. You guys are going to hate each other. We don't. We love each other. You know what I mean? Like, that's my brother. What was your guys' experience when you were getting signed, coming from your respective different backgrounds and having this opportunity from WWE come up? What was the process of going from one into the other and getting signed? I was wrestling freestyle and Gerald Briscoe, he scouted me. And uh, basically at the time I said, oh, I had commitments to Canada wrestling and I couldn't even do a tryout. And he was just like, hey, you just come out to Florida just for three days. That's when tryouts were in uh, Tampa, FCW. In my head, I'm going, I'm going to go there, train for a little bit and I'm going to be on TV, right? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, because I'm good at what I do. I can wrestle. I came there and I was doing forward rolls for two months. I'm talking to people back home. They're like, oh, how's it going? When are you coming on TV, right? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just doing forward rolls. I'm actually pretty good at it. I'm like, there's some guys can't even do forward rolls. That was my process. And then what happened was, at the time, Bill left and uh, Matt Bloom took over. And then he he knew that guys like me were like ready to just leave. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm not here to do forward rolls, right? I'm not wasting my youth here. He started involving us more into the wrestling part of it, just letting us in free time, letting us wrestle. That's what Zim was around too. And then we would wrestle each other. Then it was just, we liked that part of it. You know, the actual wrestling part of it, it's beautiful. Like people who don't know, that's the best part of it. Like it's awesome. Because then what was your experience? You got signed in Dubai, right? Yeah. So I I actually uh, was on a training camp uh, for a fight, uh, in England. And, uh, I actually was there at training camp at a good, uh, buddy's gym and they were actually a sponsor of mine and, uh, TK MMA fit. And I was there training and there's this guy walking around back in the time. I didn't know it was Kenny Seaman. And, uh, he was actually looking for Arab talent just in a regular gym. He just went throughout every gym in Dubai and he was looking for big Arab guys. I'm not Arabian. I'm Albanian. I'm, you know, he liked the look and he said, hey, we have tryouts next month here in uh, Dubai. And I'm just looking for some extra people like that want to join. If you like it, come join. I said, I have a fight in two weeks, but if I knock him out within the first round, I will come. And I ended up knocking him out with a flying knee in 16 seconds. A flying knee from you? Oh, my God. I'd be dead. I would literally be dead. Oh, my God. I'm going to look that up after this. Me first, Ollie Thompson. I actually faked the takedown. He went back. He went down with his head, and I threw up the knee, and he was flush on his head. But uh, So I called him up, right? I said, uh, yo, Kenny, and I just won. Uh, I actually called him the next day. I said, uh, I just won uh, within 16 seconds. I sent him the video through uh, iMessage. He checked it out. He said, brother, we need you at this tryout. Please come. 
I said, I'm not Arab though, is that a problem? He said, uh, it's not a problem. Can you speak Arabian words? I said, yeah, sure. I couldn't, but I thought I figured out like I learned it. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was WWE, right? I knew of WWE. So I thought it's an opportunity, right? I'm going to try it. And uh, so I fly out next month. He, uh, he flies me in and we did the tryout. Actually, me and my brother together, we did the tryout because my brother's a copy of me, but He's maybe just a little bit lazier than me, right? In uh, some aspects, but he was a professional, <laughs> professional MMA fighter. So, yeah, yeah. so uh, we actually both did the tryout, and uh, Bill Vermont at that time uh, and William Regal were there. And William Regal just begged me. He said, "You're going to be something so big." He said, uh, "We have people in the performance center already, like, but we need you, man. Like, like you're going to be something so big." I was actually I just turned 18 at that time. It was a couple of days after my birthday. And uh, he said, you're so young. He said, you will have a lifetime career at WWE if you want to come join. Actually, the last day of the tryouts was promo day. And I had to speak Arab because I still hadn't told that I wasn't speaking Arab. The first two days were just like conditioning and strength. So I'm standing there. Sami Zayn is sitting there right next to the camera with William Regal and Bill DeMott. And Sami Zayn speaks fluently Arab. So I'm looking at the camera and they say, can you give me a 20 second, 30 to 30 second Arab promo and sound as aggressive as possible. And I just knew like a couple words, Kefahalik, how are you? That's what I learned from the guys in the gym. And I'm just looking at the at the mirror and I'm just like shaking my head from aggressivity, right? Like trying to show how angry I'm saying Kefahalik like that. And then and then Sami Sain says, Yo, you actually speak Arabian? I said, No, I'm Albanian, but I can learn it. And he says, dude, it says hey, you speak Arabian. I said, I don't. And then William Regal stood up. He said, it doesn't matter what language you speak. Your face tells the story. Give me a 10-second stare down in this camera. Leave it to Sami Zayn to call you out, though, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But he was great, though, throughout everything. But they all stood behind the camera and checked in the little camera screen. And I just gave my most aggressive look in the camera for 10 seconds. I started sweating instantly from shaking my head that much, like... My blood pressure probably went up to 200 in that moment. And William Regal said, that face is going to sell at arenas. We want you to come to Orlando, Florida. And uh, he said, we want to sign your brother too. And my brother obviously didn't end up signing because he wanted to stay in the Netherlands. He had more things going on there with his uh, companies. And uh, I ended up signing and that's how we, how we met, man, me and Sonny. That's how when I flew out like two months later. Usually you get like drawn in with, with a group of guys. I went by myself. They wanted me in the performance center as soon as possible. The first week, they gave me a chair to sit down alone, watch all the trainings, and the week after it, we started training. Wow, that's crazy. What else was your relationship with William Regal like? I mean, that guy is just a well of knowledge. He was the best to us. The first year in Orlando, he almost texted me every day. We texted on a regular basis. I was sending him videos of promos like in the bathroom of my apartment in Orlando in Winter Park. And I was just sending him promos. And he said, yeah, that's the way to go, kid. Like, keep sending them, keep sending them. And I was sending them every day, just different promos. Like he said, shoot on Brock Lesnar, shoot on Rusev, shoot on this guy, shoot on that guy. Like I made promos for everybody. And actually, he was also like very, very, very helpful. Like in our first beginning, especially when me and Sonny teamed up together, he fully believed in us. Fully believed in it. He loved Sonny just as much as me. I think it was also a little bit because he was a pretty big guy too, right? Like himself. And he loved the way we could tell stories with our faces and how bad we actually looked. And uh, yeah, he always told me and Sonny, you guys are Heyman guys. You guys will be Heyman guys. So you guys will always be Heyman guys. And I think he had a big thing in bringing Paul Ellering with us as well when we just debuted. How did that all come together with Paul Ellering? And what was your relationship like with him when he came in as your guy's manager? We didn't actually know that we were getting Paul Ellering as a manager. Honestly, we didn't know we were debuting because we've only had, we had, I think we had like four or five matches together on house shows all around Florida there with NXT. And then randomly before, uh, I think it was uh, the takeover at the end. And it was a revival at the time. And, American Alpha, I believe, they had a match, and then we came in after. And literally that morning, we got a text from Matt Bloom that said, hey, meet us at the Performance Center at 10 a.m. We go there, and the, it's empty. Bloom goes, get in the ring, just roll around. And then we see Paul walk out, and he's watching us, and the, him and uh, I think it was William Regal together. And what was happening was he wanted to see us before he got put together with us. And right away, he said, yeah, I'll do this. When we uh, debuted, 
Paul came out and it was just, it was something so big because he had a lot of offers to manage other tag teams and he turned them all down because he didn't feel like it fit. And because uh, he has a huge legacy, obviously, to keep up. They actually never really told us before our debut that Paul Ellering would come out. Like they left the option to Paul Ellering because from our knowledge, from our knowledge, like uh, he was actually like, he already had declined a lot of people before us. That's what they told us. And that's what Paul later on told us as well. Like we were, we jumped on uh, Jordan and Gable, American Alpha. And like, obviously Matt Bloom told us backstage, like, hey, you guys might be teaming up with Paul or you guys might be teaming up. But they never really told us Paul is going to walk out and you guys actually have to be standing next to him. Like we jumped, we did our thing. Like we beat American Alpha up at that time. And we were just standing there. And all of a sudden we hear the crowd cheer like crazy. We thought, are they cheering us? Like, then we look and it's Paul Ellering. So it all went just smoothly. But they never really told us that Paul Ellering is going to walk out and be our manager. Like, they never really told I think they left the option to him, like, till the last second, right? Because he had a legacy, obviously, with Legion of Doom. And they didn't want to mess that up. So they gave him the option and he accepted it eventually. Yeah. And then we we clicked. Like, we meet. Yeah. Like, honestly, us and Paul talk on a weekly basis still. I always pick his brain about stocks and different stuff and just his crazy workouts. He just still does crazy workouts. He's flying to the metaverse with us. I've had the honor of trying to introduce him to the metaverse and it's the best thing ever because he, he had no clue. I call him every other day and I'd be like, hey, Paul, so this is what's, oh, that's great. He loves us to a fact where he's unconditional support. He's like, and then because the whole time we're away, he's like, we got to get back to wrestling, boys. We just say, yeah, Paul, we're just super busy, blah, blah, blah. And then when I introduce his metaverse stuff, Paul goes, oh, that's great. Different. Let's do it. That's so cool. I love that. What was it like when you guys went from NXT to debuting on the main roster? That sort of like journey from one into the other. Very different. From NXT, we were wrestling all the time. And then when we got to the main roster, we did a couple of things and then boom, nothing. And we're like, what's going on? Did we do something wrong? No, it was just at the time, the boss just said, basically, these guys are too big, too special. We got to do something good with them. That something good didn't come around for like eight to nine months. We we're there. Everybody's looking at us like, what the, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like sitting in catering all the time, eating our food, right? Like we're eating like we're, you know, NXT, right? There's no catering. We saw catering, like we smashed it, like eating cake, eating steaks. I still miss those cookies. Yeah, the cookies, <laughs> right? And yeah, the, we went on doing nothing for so long. And then I think we had one uh, random match. I don't know how it came about. It was the main event of Raw. We walked into the arena and everyone's like, oh, congrats, guys. Congrats, guys. And I'm like, I'm looking at them. Like, what? Congratulating us. <laughs> we haven't done anything for months, dude. Right? And then we get into the locker room. We were actually, we were teaming with Corbin and we faced the Shield. They go, yeah, you guys have a match with them. And honestly, I think, even John, Seth, Roman was always like, oh, these guys are just like me because he has a football background, right? John and Seth, they were like, oh, I don't know if these guys can even wrestle, right? So they're just kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll put it together. Anyways, we'd have the match and then, honestly, I remember this. You can tell John this. We have the match and it turned out to be a good match. And uh, John comes to the back and goes, he looks at it, he goes, hey, man, you guys are pretty good. <laughs> praise considering he doesn't he doesn't dole out compliments all that often trust me i'm married to him i gotta beg for compliments i go to zim i said you see that shit <laughs> we're good huh hey guys if you're here listening to the sessions thank you hello hi and you love some combat sports well be sure to check out boxing with chris mannix it's every friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing ufc and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix, only here on the Volume Podcast Network. <laughs> How shocking was it for you for that time that you spent in Singapore? For you to go from living in Cincinnati to being transported into Singapore, what did that do to you? And obviously going to Singapore for one championship. Yeah, well, I wasn't shocked because I had been working for one several years prior to moving down there, right? I mean, I think I'm coming up on either eight or nine years with the company now. 
But either way, I had worked for them for several years and I traveled in and out of uh, Singapore and just Southeast Asia in general. And I've done quite a bit of travel. I've been to about 65 countries at this point. So being out of the country, I'm not really shocked by things because I love that feeling of like, man, you don't see that every day. And that's what really gets me excited when I travel. But but that's still different than like oh, living yeah. somewhere. I had actually spent some time in Singapore. Like you spend concentrated time in Singapore. And so going down there, I kind of knew what I was getting into. And for people that have never been to Asia, like, or the people that moved to Singapore, they call Singapore like Asia light because living out of the country, as far as ease, Singapore is about the best place you could possibly live because everything's in English. It's easy to navigate. And as far as the country goes, Singapore is the most organized, technologically advanced, efficient city slash country I've ever been to in my life. Okay. So how was the suit life treating you? I mean, like you said, you've been there eight, nine years working with Juan, but I mean, as the vice president, CEO, how was that transition and how did that opportunity even come about for you to start working with them? I went down to Singapore uh, years ago and I had actually taught a seminar at Evolve with one of my coaches, with Matt Hume. This was before before I was retired and, and before I started working for them. And when I got down there, I just met the right people and they basically said, hey, if you were ever be interested in a job post-career, let us know. And uh, so then when my career was coming to an end, I was looking like, well, what am I going to do next? And so contacted those people and like, yeah, we would love to have you on board. Fortunately, I guess for me or them or whatever, uh, having a math degree, like I'm a very left brain numbers driven kind of guy. So, you know, I've done so many different things for the company. And uh, and I guess with me, it's not I'm not just like a spokesperson, like you actually get a real employee when you hire me, you know, because a lot of athletes get hired and people are like just well, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. What, what do they actually do for the company? But the interesting thing is that when when one hired me initially, I don't think they really knew how to place me in the company. I was like one of those football players on the, on the field that was like playing different positions all the time. They're Utility just like, guy. Yeah, yeah, like go do this. Like we need you to catch this ball this time. Uh, no, this time we're going to give you the ball and if you could throw it for us, that'd be great. <laughs> I did that for a while and then things started to, uh, to they, like it started to kind of like close in. And so for a while I, I started help setting up their, their merchandising system because I had at one point in time had my own clothing brand. Yeah. But then ultimately uh, Chatri came to me and said, hey, I want you to, and I was not interested. He said, I want you to run this. I got this idea. It's a travel show. And I want you to travel around and recruit talent. Think of Anthony Bourdain meets MMA. And I looked at him straight up. And I was like, Chachri, I don't, I don't have the time for this. Like I got you. I, I'm doing like five different jobs for the company right now. And he's like, nope. That would be such a fun oh, job. It's amazing. And so that ran for about two and a half years. One Warrior Series. Actually, it was called Rich Franklin's One Warrior Series. You talked about my studio setup, right? Like I had no clue, not like other than, I, I mean, I've been on a couple of reality shows. I've done a little bit and I ask questions and I'm, I'm definitely a curious person and, and always learning and which is why I like having a podcast. But at the same time, like I'd never run a production crew and he basically was like, go. And I had nobody. And I, so I had to build a team. So I ended up uh, building a team. I had hired four people. These are like my core advisors. And with them and I, I surrounded myself with the right people. And then after two and a half years, like we really, I mean, we, we made a great product. And so we did six seasons of that show. The first four are on, on YouTube and you can tell a difference from season one to season four, but um, man, season five and six, like then we started monetizing it and selling it to different media partners overseas. I always said like, God really looks out for me. I said to myself, when I'm done fighting, I want to be able to travel because all the travel I did while I was in competition, I didn't get to see anything. Then suddenly it's like, well, here's your job. And so my job, literally, I had, I had a team of 15 people underneath me and their job was essentially to just like plan a cool vacation. One episode, we're hiking to some Buddhist temple in the middle of uh, these jungles in Myanmar. And the next time we're jumping off of a waterfall in the middle of the Philippines. And then the next time we're hang gliding in, in, uh, in Australia. And literally, I did all of these things on top of all the MMA that was attached to it, but truly a great job. And then COVID hit, you know, that obviously is a game changer for travel and whatnot. And so now I'm here in the U.S. just working with one's expansion into the U.S. territory. Okay, 1X coming up. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. So the show is March 26th. That's Saturday. And it'll start at one in the afternoon. But that's Asia time. So or that's Singapore time. So in East Coast time, it'll start at 1 a.m. 
And that's part one. And then part two starts at 5 a.m. East Coast time. And then part three starts at maybe 8 a.m. I'll be commentating on on, on uh, part of this show. And you get to do that all from home. I'm, I'm kind of brought in just uh, for for audio. So I'll be doing some fight analysis scoring and uh, and whatnot. So it'll be pretty cool. But have you had to do that from home before when without actually being there? That's got to be a bit of a trip. This week we're running com tests, making sure that did Mansuri set that up? He set it up, but I was working with a with a different producer on it. So, but um, yeah, it'll be and he'll he'll be the one in my ear on on Saturday yelling at me. He's a good guy to have in your ear. Oh, from, I, from Mansuri, experience, you know what the crazy thing is? I, like, I love Mike. He's awesome. We've never met in person. He's been working for the company, and he's down in Singapore now. I was up in New York, and like two times I'm going to New York and he's leaving like the day before I get there or vice versa. And so we've never actually met face to face. So your guy's best friendship is also being dodged. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I will say this though. I get plenty of FaceTime with Mike. Like this is the first FaceTime. I've invited you to dinner three times. This is the first FaceTime. Okay. Just to clear it up for the people, by the way. So we were scheduled to go to dinner, me, you and John. Was this the second time or third time? <laughs> I can't even remember it. I can't remember at this point. My heart is so full of rejection. We got blasted with snow so bad. We were ready to go. And then John's mom called and was like, I can't get out of my driveway. It's simply not happening. Um, and then I had to bail on doing this interview yesterday because my daughter got a stomach bug, which then I got. I've not had a stomach bug for like a decade. Oh, my God. But I I lived. Did you ever get COVID? I did. I got COVID twice. How bad was it? But the first time I got it was like pretty early on to COVID. So I think I was so freaked out by everything that I was like, oh my God, it was bad. But I just didn't have a fever for any of it. But I had kind of all the other symptoms with it. Did you get it? I had it back um, during Thanksgiving. I've only had it once, but I always thought like, because there are some people, I, I have friends, I have, I mean, I have friends that have been... All, near death with this thing. And I have some friends that are like, yeah, I had the sniffles for like 20 minutes. And I thought I would be that guy. Cause I'm like all organic eating, exercising. Like I'm that guy. Right. So I'm like, whatever, bring it. And then I, I got, I got this thing and it lasted for about 12 days in total. Um, but I had four days in the middle of that where I got hit with every single symptom you can think of simultaneously. Loss of taste, loss of smell, temperature. I had nausea in my stomach. I had this situation with my skin where I remember one night I was taking a shower and I didn't realize I didn't turn on the cold water. It was all hot and I couldn't tell. It was like my skin was numb. But then I crawled into my bed and I was under the covers and the covers on my skin, they, when, when they were like, when they were rubbing me, it felt like it was like somebody was taking like a steel brush and just scraping it like all. everything hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. And I was just like, for four days, I was like, man, I'm like, Lord, just, just take me like, I'm <laughs> just like, I'm done. The aches and pains were like the worst part for me where I was just like, oh my God, like my elbows hurt, my hands hurt. So brutal. I never had trouble breathing or anything of that nature. I never felt like my life was in danger. It was just like, just miserable. I did have a little bit of like, I got a heavy chest the first time, but I think also, like I said, it's like, because it was early on, I think it was also like a little bit of just like anxiety where I'm like, oh, can I breathe? Can I breathe? Okay. I think I kept like kind of checking myself. Um, Anyways, my stomach bug was not that. It still sucked, but it was not. It wasn't COVID. Thank God. Okay, so back to 1X because I had to like write this down. So the main event, of course, Angela Lee defending the Adam Weight World Championship against Stamp Fairtex. Now, Stamp, did Stamp come off of your show? She did. When I was doing the One Warrior Series, that was my first stop. We went to Bangkok and I was holding these tryouts. I, and I love telling this story. I tell it all the time. I'm watching two guys try out on the mat. And I'm just watching and I'm watching. I'm like, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden I just hear this like, boom. And it sounded like a cannon went off. And I was like, what was that? Boom. And I'm like, whoa. And I look sideways and there's this tiny little girl just smashing the pads. I knew right away. I was like, this girl, she's going somewhere. And so she was obviously trying out for an MMA show, but her background is in Muay Thai. And there's a really good documentary on stamp called Buffalo Girls because what ends up happening with a lot of families in Thailand is they will put their kids in competitive Muay Thai, like actual competition at a young age to help earn household income. I mean, there's, there's video footage of her fighting at the age of six, like having been trained. And this isn't like just throw some gloves on some kids. Like these kids are already trained killers in the making. 
And so it's it's pretty crazy watching that. And, and I mean, they'll fight for basically peanuts. But I mean, this is a family's ability to put food on the table, essentially. So, you know, she had been competing since the age of six and it obviously showed when she tried out. But the thing I liked about Stamp is I remember watching her when she was actually doing the MMA portions, like watching her grappling and I could tell that she was green, but she was in the right camp. And, and you just know when somebody has that learning curve, like I just knew right away. And so she competed for me one time, Knox. I can't remember her opponent's name, but knocks this girl out in like 10 seconds with a head kick. And I think that she was actually just like kind of throwing the kick as a setup and planned on like grappling, like working her MMA game. But then the kick landed and it just pretty much that was the end of it. And uh, one championship immediately was like, no, we want her. So they pulled her because my league was the recruiting league, the Warrior Series, and they pulled her right away. She ended up championing in um, Muay Thai and kickboxing. And then later on, now she works her way through the MMA ranks. And the thing I love about Stamp is that she's one of those people where you can see her brain working in, in the circle. She'll try to do things. Sometimes even as a coach, I'm like, man, like you're being too reckless. Like don't go for this move when you're on top side control, like coast this out, pepper this girl, with some punches to the face, like whatever. And she'll give up top side position to go for some submission that she has not yet quite perfected, at least for not for competition. And so you can see this and she, she, she'll take risks in matches. If I was her coach, I'd be like, listen, you got you to take intelligent risks here. But all that to say, I mean, she came through the Adam Waite Grand Prix and ended up the, the final match against Ritu Fogat, which is one of the best wrestlers we have in one championship. Male, female, doesn't matter. She is one of the best wrestlers we have in one championship. And she just has a reputation for smashing people, passing them, and just bashing them. And Stamp ends up beating this girl with an armbar. But you can see this evolution happening over time. And when you look at this matchup with Angela, like Angela's kind of in a similar situation. She's been training since she was six years old as well. Obviously not fighting to provide for the family. So the big question for me here is, which Angela is going to show up? Has her priorities changed? Is her priority being a champion or is her priority having a, a, a baby now? And are those two things mutually exclusive? That really is something that like kind of blows my mind. And when you see women that juggle those things between having a baby, getting back to fighting right away, like, you know, I've been talking to, to Misha Tate about that when she was doing that as well, when she had her, when she had, I think it was when she had her son, but, um, yeah, just to get back and like Ronda Rousey came back to wrestling four months after having her baby. I just don't know how their bodies can do that. It blows my mind. Like having a kid and I don't have to fight anybody, but day to day, I'm like, is it bedtime yet? Like I'm ready to shut it down. And for them to be like, no, I'm going to go into train right now is like, get after it, girl. But like that, I'm not cut out for that. I had interviewed uh, Bethany Hamilton. You know, Bethany Hamilton. Oh, wow. She's fascinating. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She was talking about when they did. Uh, I can't remember was like whatever the, the world championships that were in Australia or whatever for or was it in French Polynesia? I don't know, whatever. But she was in the middle of the competition, literally like surfed one heat, come out breastfeeding her baby on the boat. In between heats, like this is insane. And I'm just sitting there like women are crazy. Women are crazy. We're nuts. Yeah. We take it all on. Yeah. We make it all happen. You got to be fed. You got to be fed. Championships got to be won. Let's go. If the roles were reversed and the man had to take care of all that, like it would be like me breastfeeding for 20 minutes. I'd be like, man, I breastfed the kid today. Like I'm tired. <laughs> like leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I will say at one point I'm like, this burns calories, right? Great. Here we go. It's a doozy. Um, okay, so you have to finally pick Angela Lee or Stamp. Who's getting who's getting the W? How can you pick when you don't have all the information, right? Like you're looking at a puzzle without all the pieces. I want a good, educated, Rich Franklin gets. If Angela's been on point with her training the way that she should, then I don't believe that Stamp has quite had the time to close the gap yet on the grappling game. I do believe it will be in Angela's best interest to close the gap and, you know, take Stamp to the ground, obviously. But I don't think Stamp's going to be able to keep up on the ground. So if I was a gambling man, like if I had to make a bet, I would probably bet Angela just based on experience. But I'll say this. If Angela's slept at all on her training or she has underestimated Stamp in any way, it's game over because that girl has an exponential learning curve for martial arts. The co-main. I, and like the co-main, this is, you got, you're going to have to spell this one out for me. So Demetrius Johnson versus Road Tang, uh, special rules, super fight. The first and third rounds are contested under Muay Thai rules. The second and fourth round are contested under the MMA rules. 
Yeah, this is cool. Let, let me take a step back and just say, as an MMA promotion, technically, one, we, you know, they're putting on MMA matches. And then we, Chantry some years ago, they come up with this idea of like, hey, let's do some Muay Thai, let's do some kickboxing. And I was of this mind, mindset of like, I don't come to an MMA event to watch Muay Thai, right? Like I, I was not a fan. And, and then, so I was like, I just don't like this idea. And then we had our first event and we had some Muay Thai kickboxing matches. And then I kind of begrudgingly internally walked away. Like I actually like that. And then as time went on, I found myself really looking forward to a lot of these Muay Thai matchups, particularly, I would say for me personally, the Muay Thai matchups more so than the kickboxing because our Muay Thai is done in the four ounce gloves, the, the MMA style gloves, not the big boxing gloves. So these matches are really exciting. Raw Tang won a lot of fans over here stateside when we had our show on TNT last year. He had an amazing match against Daniel Williams. He's just one of those guys that's fun to watch. And so we decided to do this hybrid match. And for me, this is really exciting because it's something different. It's not something that you would see in any other organization. And it kind of gives you this nostalgic throwback to the original days of MMA when it was karate versus judo or jujitsu versus boxing. And so that's kind of what this is. So it's a four round fight, three minute rounds, one minute break in between standard. And the first round is going to be Muay Thai. And the second round's MMA, third round Muay Thai, fourth round MMA. Well, I'll just say this. These Muay Thai strikers on the other side of the planet, they are on a different level of striking completely, a completely different level. The first time I actually worked with a, a, a Muay Thai athlete, his name was Arona Warpechpun, and he and I sparred together. And just from a, a pure Muay Thai perspective, like it was ridiculous how he was always on balance. Every time I threw a kick, I got kicked either before my kick landed or in return two or three more times. And so it's just a completely different level. And with that, I wonder if DJ is going to play the game safe weather the storm for that first three minutes and take Rod Tang into the second three-minute round, or if he's going to come out and actually try his hand at Muay Thai. Because after all, DJ, in my opinion, is probably the GOAT. And if anybody's capable of coming out and putting on a good performance with Muay Thai, it would be him. But in my opinion, the path of least resistance for him would be to not be arrogant enough to play that game with a guy like Rod Tang because this dude is like a miniature little Mike Tyson and take him into your game. Take him down, get him on the ground, and get that submission. Who else is another fighter that people should keep their eye on? There's so many good matches on this card. I guess the Coco main event is Adriano Marias versus Yuya Wakamatsu. And for those of us in Asia, we knew how good Adriano was. But I think he turned a lot ahead stateside here when he beat Demetrius on the TNT shows last year on the ground. And I knew, personally, I knew that that was not the best matchup for DJ just because Adriano and DJ are very similar fighters. They're both really well-rounded, but Adriano's a lot taller. He had a, a good reach advantage on, on Dimitri. So him and, and Yuya Wakamatsu, the only person that Yuya Wakamatsu's lost to in his like last 10 matches is DJ because they met in a Grand Prix that we had, and he gave DJ everything he could handle. So I look for that match to be really, really, really exciting match. Shin Yaoki versus uh, Sexy Yama. Those two guys really don't like each other. Sexy Yama. What a good name. Yeah. Yoshihiro Akiyama. He goes by Sexy Yama. I like it. Part two of the card, you got like you got Nong Oh, you got Ham Seo Hee. She's fighting Denise Zamboanga. And they actually met in the Atomweight Grand Prix that the one that's the Grand Prix that Stamp won in order to get the shot at Angela. It was a very, very razor close split decision between the two of them. But Ham Seo Hee won that match. But it, it was close. And so nonetheless, they've got some unfinished business, bad blood there. Uh, so that's uh, that's a match I'm really looking forward to because I would say that um, Zamboanga was probably the favorite to win the Grand Prix, possibly. But I had selected uh, Hamseo Hee as my dark horse possible tournament winner. So that's going to be interesting. And I think the winner of that match will set themselves up for probably the number one contender position. But then, like, even on part one of the card, I would say the, the coolest match that we have on that card, and it happens to be a grappling match, is we have a two-division champion, uh, Renier de Ritter, and he's taking on Andre Galvao in a submission grappling match. And if you're not familiar with who Andre Galvao is, this guy is, like, accolades beyond accolades of, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion, just the world champion, Pan Am Games, ADCC, all that kind of stuff. He's just, he's an amazing grappler. I've actually been on the mat with him before, and it was one of those eye-opening moments for me where I learned that there was a whole new level of jujitsu in this sport. Um, so for people that have not watched one before, why should they tune in to 1X to get a little taste of what you guys are doing over there? The thing that I like about one championship is our rule set. We have a slightly different rule set. 
it's not the actual rules themselves that make it different, but the way that we judge the matches. We don't use a 10-point must system like boxing or like pretty much every other martial arts organization on the planet. We basically judge the fight in its entirety. So the fight is just essentially like one big round. I really like the way that our judging system is. And the way that we judge the matches and our scoring criteria really pushes the athletes for finishes. And so we have a high finish rate in one championship. So you will see, I mean, not only you just just see top-level world talent, but at the same time, you see some very, very exciting matches with high finish rates. Yeah. And what are you going to be calling? What What are you going to be on the call for? I will be probably be doing analyst work and then uh, scoring, like end of round scoring. For the whole show? I'm doing part two and three. That's so, that's going to be a lot. You're going to have to like have some tea and some honey next to you. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm high on life, Renee. <laughs> I, who needs caffeine? I got endorphins. I'll just do, I'm I'll just just do some push-ups. you got to keep those vocal cords good, keep things moving. I can, I can do this all day long. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to watch it. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing uh, this card, how it all comes together, because it yeah, it just seems really innovative, really, really fun, and a lot of badasses over there. It's going to be a good time. And so after you watch this card, then you and John can give me a buzz, and we can go get that. Well, right, just so you know, right now, I'm actually trying out. I interviewed uh, Sean Baker for my podcast, mm-hmm. who wrote The Carnivore Diet. So I'm doing this carnivore diet right now. I'm about- How's that going? I'm about 12 days in, and I don't feel any different. It's just meat, right? Everything is just meat and protein. If you read his book, there's no hard rules to it. I mean, you just he, he, his belief is that you get all the vitamins and minerals that you need from meat. You don't need anything else. But you can eat whatever else you want just as long as you have this foundation in animal products. So I'm basically eating pretty much just meat and eggs. And I do give myself like a serving of fruit either before or after my workouts every day just so I have a little little, little sugar in my system to fuel me. I'm not living by that diet right now, um, but I'm sure that we can meet in the middle. We'll find something that appeals to both of us. All I'm saying is if you, if you guys uh, still want to grab some sushi at Teak, have you been yet? No, but I pass it all the time. Well, listen, I'm telling you right now, if you guys, after I invited you to that restaurant, if you go eat at that restaurant without me, <laughs> that, like, that so will rude. solidify any friendship that we ever could have possibly had is not happening. Just FYI. We would never. We would never. Um, and I will leave you on this question. Skyline or Gold Star? First of all, I don't ever really eat either of them. Do you know anything about my nutrition? Well, I mean, I do now. Prior to this carnivore diet, like I'm like kale shakes in the morning and and I, and I even still, I, I, I eat tons of meat anyway. Like I'm an O positive guy and I think that meat processes well in my system. So I've always eaten a lot of just animal product. But with that being said, if I was going to cheat, 100% would have to be Skyline. There we go. There it is. But don't pollute your body. Your body is your temple. You got your Cincinnati brands. You got your Jeff Ruby restaurants. You got your Montgomery Inn ribs. You got your uh, Skyline or Gold Star, depending on what you're a fan of. Grater's Ice Cream, Buskin Bakery. I've not been to Buskin yet. They got some good stuff. I've not done that. You're missing out. I'm on it. Hey, listen, I'm telling you for real. We walk into Teak and they're like, hey, Renee, John, how you guys doing? Man, I will walk right back out of that restaurant. <laughs> I promise you, I will save our teak experience for you. It will be an evening. I'll put on real pants that aren't sweatpants. <laughs> oh, you don't have to that do means, Listen, don't do no, that. Don't do that. No, I am. That means I got to put on real pants. <laughs> I got to set the standard with the good pants. No, I'll come down there in my flip flops and shorts. I'm good with that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Rich, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the sessions. Really looking forward to 1X uh, and then grabbing some dinner later. Sounds like a plan. Stay in touch. Let me know what you think of the show. And uh, after you watch, tell me which your favorite fight was. I will do that. We didn't talk about all 20 matches, but there's so many matches on this card where people are going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that match was on here. Wow, that was an amazing match. I'm really excited to check it out. Also, I... We'll say being a, a mom that's always up early, I like that the fights are at 8 a.m. That's my speed. Give me that all day, every day. Breakfast and pugilism. I got a 4 a.m. production call that day, so I'm like not happy about that junk. No, that's not fun. That's not good. Just pass it all off to Mansuri. He's got it. It's especially not fun when half the time you're working until 4 a.m. because I'm on the other side of the planet. And then suddenly like, oh, well, now we need you to wake up at 4 a.m. So Rough. anyway, but all right, well, listen. Watch the show. Let me know what you think, and we'll grab some dinner. Definitely. Thanks, Renee. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.